Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Michael Settles is a data scientist who focuses on researching statistics, numbers, and information about dogs. He started an organization called Save All the Pets with the idea of using this data to help save dogs by using the information to apply a smarter approach to the rescue world. Michael, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yeah, thank you for having me. And where are we speaking to you from? I am in lovely Washington, D.C. in Adams Morgan neighborhood. Okay, and is that where you're from? No, I was born in Connecticut, uh, so I'm sort of a Yankee, but actually I mostly grew up in Austin, Texas. Oh, wow, cool. I love Austin. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. People love it. (laughs) Yeah, I've been there once before, and uh, I really loved it, and um, I know that they have an amazing shelter down there that does really great work. Yeah, I've actually talked to the director of Austin Pets Alive several times, and she's actually been very helpful in bouncing ideas off of them and even giving me some great ideas to help develop my uh, nonprofit. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they are one of the shelters that I think everybody in the rescue world looks to for inspiration, for different programs, and they are very generous with their information. Yeah, they're really good. And they're in Austin, so they're just good people generally. Now, tell me about your personal history with dogs. So I had a dog when I was growing up, and he was a terrier poodle mix. He was a wonderful dog. He was super floofy, um, which is really what. <laughs> How do you spell that? Was, oh, it's F L O O F Y. And um, he was just a sweetheart. And um, he was a rescue, of course. And uh, recently, my family adopted a dog, Hawkin. And um, he is pretty awesome. Like, first of all, he's very cute. He has like this beard thing going on and he like very well trimmed and maintained, very stately looking. And I didn't even know what he was because he's a rescue. So I just kept telling everyone he's a border collie mix. But then one day I put his image into Google images and it was like wire haired pointing Griffon. And I'm like, what on earth is that? And I started looking at pictures and I'm like, that's basically exactly what he is. And so He's just this very cute, scruffy, scraggly guy. Got a great personality. And um, like one time my brother's dog came over and um, they were both in the backyard. And my brother's dog, um, which is a Vishla, was very, very old and it couldn't hear very well. And mm-hmm. my mother said, okay, it's time to, time to go in. And Hawken was like, all right, I'm on it. And the Vishla, Annika, was, like, minding her own business, not really certain that something had happened or there was somebody yelling. And so my mom said, Hawken, go get Annika. And, like, we never trained Hawken to do anything of the sort. But Hawken, like, went over, started kind of circling Annika, kind of herded her toward the house. Wow. So it was really fascinating. And like, we'd never even taught Hawken that that was Annika's name. So it was, it was, yeah, it was really impressive. That's a moment. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was pretty neat. But other than that, like he's just, he's a good dog. <laughs> he's just, that's great. Sweet. 
So, Michael, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into being a data scientist, <laughs> which is a very, which is a very, I've never, I don't know if I've even spoken to a, a data scientist before. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, it's such a new field. It's only been around 24 seconds anyway, but I started <laughs> out as a computer science major okay. um, in undergrad, and then I was linguistics, and then I was sociology, and then I graduated sociology, and then for grad school, I did international affairs, and that's why I worked for the government at the State Department and the intelligence community in international affairs. You know, in computer science, that's perfectly applicable to data science. And then also in sociology, you do a lot of statistics work because that's, you know, what you have to do for for social sciences. And so kind of the combination of those and some additional training really helped get me to the data science field. Very cool. I actually studied sociology undergrad as well. I remember the statistics, and this was in the the prehistoric age in the 80s, and the statistics classes just paralyzed me with fear. And I remember working in, in front of this, what now probably is this enormous dinosaur-looking machine and just running numbers. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but... Um, <laughs> I got through it, and uh, but I love sociology, and I think that in so many ways it prepares us for the world, and it gives us yeah. a, a very specific lens yeah. as to how to see the world. Trying to dissect society and understand it from a scientific lens, I mean, it's almost an impossible task, but to just try to do that and then see what you can get, even if the results aren't usually statistically significant and you end up with nothing, <laughs> sometimes there's something. Sometimes. Exactly. So, but you have created something, you have found something, and um, I'd love to speak to you about your your work with dogs. So can you yeah. kind of walk me through how you found your way into this, this amazing work? I was trying to come up with a project idea. And so I was like, what could I do? And I look at my dog, He like cocks his head and I'm like, there it is, something about dogs. And so I started researching public data sets. And the next thing you know, I found this data set about all the registered dogs in New York City. And then I did more digging and I found the same thing for Seattle and then Edmonton and then Adelaide. And then I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. But what can I do with that? And so I was thinking like combining that with something I'm like thinking like, what about this? What about that? And so one thing I came up with was what about take all the dogs and take their breed and then like say, which borough in New York has the smartest dogs, the most trainable dogs by breed. And then the same thing for Seattle and the other places. And so I'm like, I I think nobody's done this. I think this is really fun. And then the story goes, the music stops because I came across dog euthanasia data on the internet. Mm, yeah. And I'm, you know, just thinking through matching supply and demand essentially and moving animals away from high euthanasia shelters. And I started talking to a bunch of people, some major organizations, and I found out that nobody, nobody was doing anything like this, not even remotely like this. I mean, of course people are moving animals all the time. I mean, thank thank goodness, but no one is doing like 
this type of analysis. I mean, of course, there's the analysis like, well, we think that this animal would do well at our shelter. And obviously, you know, people are, are very talented and, you know, oftentimes they're completely right. But my point as a data scientist is people think the same, thought the same thing before Moneyball, right? But guess what? When you apply statistics to a situation, you come up with some pretty surprising things. And the same thing could happen with animal rescue. So everyone I talked to was like, oh my God, I want to help. How can I help? That's amazing. And well, first of all, I think that when when it comes to animals and when it comes to dogs, people's hearts just open up and they want to help, whether it's to donate money, their time. And I think a lot of people don't know how to help. They're like, I want to help, but I don't know how Mm. I can't physically like rescue an animal. Yeah. Um, I don't have the money to help or I Mm. have a full time job. But I find that when people have a skill set yeah. that they're able to offer up, that's the most valuable help that anybody can give. That's so true. Now, so let's say there's a dog in a particular part of the country where it has a great chance of being euthanized. So how do you take that information and, and what, what happens next? I've already partnered with several shelters that have agreed to provide me with all of their data, except for the data about people, nothing about that. Sure. All of the animal data. And so I can take that and start to look into it and find out what trends there are. So, you know, for a receiving shelter that takes in animals, I can say, oh, if you send them something that is like a small breed and it's curly hair and it's around this age or whatever, that gets adopted really fast. Yes. I can look at all these different things, the age, the size, and then most importantly, I can look at the image of the animal, run it through my handy-dandy neural network, and then when it comes out, it'll give you lots of information about the animal. Once I have all these attributes, I can say, well, dogs that are like this would do best at this shelter in Chicago. So let's move it to Hinsdale Humane Society. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the next step. And so right now we're at a pretty critical juncture because I now have enough shelters willing to participate in a pilot study that I can move some animals. So I'm planning in a few months to move Um, 30 to 50 animals from a shelter potentially in Texas to one of three or more shelters across the country according to where each of those animals would do best. And then once we've done that, I can say this is the result. We can measure what happened. You know, this type of animal, statistically, maybe it wouldn't have done so well where it was coming from. But where it went we can say, you know, it was adopted in seven days or something. I work at a shelter called Bidewe and yeah. uh, they're very there's old. A, yeah, they were they were founded in 1903. As a matter of fact, yeah. we definitely have a lot of people coming in to adopt smaller dogs. Uh, they love puppies, and it's harder not, but not impossible. But it, it, the dogs that are larger will typically stay a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And because we're a New York City shelter, a lot of people who are living in apartments won't always go for a larger dog. Right. And we work with a bunch of different groups, some in Texas, some in the islands, Puerto Rico, Antigua, and a lot from the south, from Georgia especially. We will speak to them and, and we'll see what kind of dogs they have. Mm-hmm. But 
a lot of times it can still be sort of hit or miss. Mm-hmm. And this is such a wonderful way to finesse both yeah. the the needs of the shelter, but also the needs of, of how a rescue group where there's a lot more homeless dogs, it helps them finesse sort of how who they could reach out to. Yeah. I think and that's you know, so brilliant. Let's say there's a dog sitting in a shelter for a year and three months and it's not even at risk of euthanasia. But it could still be moved to another shelter. I was just talking to a shelter in D.C. the other day, and the director told me, well, it was a rescue. The director told me that exact thing had just happened. There was a dog sitting for a year in a shelter. They moved it to their rescue, and it was adopted in, I think, two weeks. This kind of thing would do exactly that. It can start with euthanasia, because obviously that's a terrible situation. Yes. But it can end with, like... We still don't want animals sitting in shelters forever anyway, either. That's not like a great solution. No, it's true. And then I was talking to one of the very large animal rescue organizations, and they brought up hurricane season and how it's so hard to respond. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Like, this could help with that, too. You know, basically throw 500 animals into my algorithm, and it says, move this one here, move this one here, move this one here. And you're not just, like, scrambling to move anything anywhere according to some random you know, whatever, whoever will take whatever kind of situation. Right. So exactly. There's a lot. And, you know, that's the kind of thing. The beauty of the fact that it's an algorithm means that you can go in and click the hurricane button <laughs> and it'll be like, OK, it's a hurricane. This is a special circumstance. We can adjust accordingly. Wow. Yeah, I have uh, had experience with shelters here in New York that are pretty much no-kill shelters, but there are dogs that will stay there for months or maybe years, and then there will be an opportunity in, like, let's say, Nova Scotia. And in Nova Scotia, they're looking for this type of dog, and so there becomes this sort of, like, underground railroad to to Nova Scotia, and Mm -hmm. those dogs that were languishing at the shelter are suddenly in homes and thriving, and it really, it really... Everything that you're talking about sounds like an amazing contribution to this because there is so many people out there and so many people working on this, mm-hmm. but I still think that there's a lack of connection, a lack of communication or information on a broader level that something like this would be so influential and so beneficial for. It's tough because we're talking about lots and lots of shelters all over the place. Sure. They all have their own systems and their own ways of doing things. And I mean, the, what does bring everyone together is that, yeah, we want to save lives. People who go into animal sheltering are not in it for the money. They're not in it for, you know, the fame they're in it to help animals and save lives. Everything that you're doing is so amazing. So, Michael, your website, where can we find you? I know that you have a couple of different websites. I'm kind of all over. Um, So if anyone wants to help Save All the Pets, they can go to saveallthepets.org slash donate. And we are Mm -hmm. a 501c3 nonprofit. And if they want to learn fun facts about dogs, Doggy Data Zone or just doggydata.com, D-O-G-G-Y. Michael, where do we find you on uh, social media? Save All the Pets is at Save All the Pets ASSN for association. Okay. Doggy Data Zone is just Doggy Data Zone. Thank you. And um, the dogs, thank you too. There's such a beautiful future in this. Thank you. It's been been a pleasure and I look forward to, to chatting some more. I love how this data scientist who was working in a very complicated and numbers-driven world 
was inspired by his dog. His dog looked at him and he looked back at his dog and he's like, I know what I'm going to do next. And he's found a way to take this very specific, to me, very complicated field and use his skills to save more dogs. And that's what I find that's so beautiful in the world of rescue. Everybody wants to help. And yet what I find the most valuable is when people take their skill set or their talents or their gifts and give it in a way that helps to enhance or improve the lives of dogs, of cats, and of rescue. And Michael has done that with this amazing approach to numbers and data. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.